there was a previous SARS virus because um, COVID is SARS-CoV-2 and SARS-CoV-1 was when you guys were like not born yet. Hello, welcome to Live from M5. I'm Brianna Peck, joined by Emily Broad and Shannon Eisenhower. And today we're going to be talking about vaccines in general and just how they affect the body and what they are and just some information around those. So just to start off, um, what do you teach here at Rockland High School? Uh, I teach both biology and chemistry. And why do you teach those? Why? Uh, Because I really enjoy both subjects. Uh, My degree in college was in biology and, um, you know, a big part of biology is chemistry. So I really love both of them. And then why did you choose teaching instead of research? Um, well, why I didn't do research is I don't think I have a good personality for it. There's a lot of work with um, very little payoff. <laughs> um, most research ends up failing, and I did some research in college, and it was, you know, it's very frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm really happy that people do it, but it wasn't for me. Um, and then I really enjoy teaching. Um, I just, I really love, you know, imparting knowledge but I also just love the feeling when kids really get something and when they really understand something and you know being able to help people do that yeah was it hard teaching like over this pandemic recently oh yes yes this was like my first year teaching all over again (laughs) it was (laughs) terrible but you know we got through it yeah all right so to start off could you explain to us what a vaccine is So a vaccine is a substance that is injected into your body, or usually injected, not always, um, that helps make your immune system respond. And the idea is that your immune system is very cool. Um, Once you've had a disease, it makes these cells called memory cells that will remember that you've had a particular disease. And if you are ever exposed to that disease again, then your body is already prepared and can like fight it really quickly. And what a vaccine does is it basically tricks your body into thinking you have had a disease. (laughs) And so your immune response is made and you make these memory cells, which means if you ever actually are exposed to the disease, then you like either won't get sick or you'll get just a very mild version of the disease. And how did someone even come up with that idea? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it was, I think, mostly sort of by accident. (laughs) Um, I think that it was pretty... Like by observation, they would notice that, for example, someone recovered from smallpox, that they would never get smallpox again. So they had this idea that if you got a disease, you didn't get it two times. And so, you know, kind of just through extrapolation, I think they figured, well, wait, what if we could give you just a mild version of the disease and then you could recover? And that's actually how the first, not quite vaccines, but we call inoculations started. When did they begin? So the earliest record of anyone inoculating against a disease um, is in about the year 1000, like 1000 CE uh, in China. And what they would do is that they would open a skin, like they would cut you on your skin, and uh, they would take pus from someone who had smallpox, and they would put it in the sore on your skin. And that would generally make the person ill, but not as ill as a full-on case of smallpox. And when they recovered, they then would not be able to get smallpox. So this was happening a long time ago then. This yeah. isn't like recent mm-hmm. 20th century. Now, inoculation is not as good as vaccines because you were getting exposed to the legit virus. And it didn't always work. But at the time, I mean, smallpox was such a horrible disease that it was worth the risk. 
Yeah. And are we still suffering from the same smallpox levels or has that been? Uh, smallpox is actually the only disease that has been completely eradicated by vaccines. And how do we know? How do we know? Well, yeah. no one's gotten smallpox. <laughs> um, so actually, this is really interesting. And I read a whole book about this. Um, if you are really interested in this sort of thing, there's a book called Spillover by David Quammen. <laughs> um, I read this book last summer. And it's about the fact that the majority of new viruses actually spill over from animals. Um, there's animal reservoirs. So things like chickens, bats, pigs, that sort of thing. Um, and so because of that, we can't eradicate them because they'd have to be eradicated both in us and all the chickens and all the bats and all the pigs, <laughs> and that's not going to happen. Um, but there's very few diseases that are humans only. And those diseases, what that are humans only, theoretically can be eradicated. And um, smallpox is one of those diseases. So once we had the vaccine, no other animals can get smallpox. So there wasn't like, you know, a bat somewhere giving people smallpox. And so we were able to eradicate it. Polio is the only other one. Um, and it's almost eradicated, but not quite. Yeah, the numbers have started going up again, haven't they? Yeah, well, <laughs> there was an unfortunate thing. Um, back when they were trying to um, find Osama bin Laden, they used vaccination crews to get intelligence on um, Osama bin Laden, and it made a lot of people like in Afghanistan and Pakistan really suspicious of vaccination, thinking that it's now political. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, that was not a good idea. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, I'm happy they got Osama bin Laden, but using vaccination for it was a bad idea, I think, because now people are suspicious of vaccines. And actually, Pakistan and Afghanistan are the only two countries that still have endemic polio. Is measles, is that a, um, that's not human only, right? Uh, no, it's not human only, so can't okay. be eradicated. However, measles had been under so much control, it was sort of, you know, not quite eradicated, but extremely rare until recently when more people um, stopped vaccinating their kids. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And then, so you said they originally started with like just pus. How has that like changed into? So yeah, those original inoculations aren't really considered vaccines per se because they weren't, um, they were the actual disease. <laughs> um, the first real vaccine, and I looked this up because I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first real vaccine was made by a guy named Edward Jenner. And it was also against smallpox. But what he did was take cowpox, which was a related virus, but doesn't make humans very sick. But it's similar enough to smallpox that it would keep them from getting smallpox. And so he inoculated, he would um, take pus from cowpox and inject it into humans, and that would prevent them from getting smallpox. And that was in 1796. So that was the first real vaccine. Oh, wow. Yeah. How are they, so how are they made nowadays? Um, so it depends because there's lots of different kinds. Uh, so the flu vaccine, which is, you know, one of the ones that we get most commonly like every year, um, is generally what we call a lot of people would probably call it a dead virus, but since viruses aren't alive, it's not really dead. <laughs> um, you could call it an inactivated virus. Um, and the way that they make it is actually really interesting. They have chicken farms, and they're um, super secret where they're located because they're considered like a, you know state chickens who make our vaccines. <laughs> um, like a conspiracy and, theory right there. <laughs> yeah. And what the reason they have what they do is they actually inject live flu virus into chicken eggs and let it replicate until you have lots of virus. And then they purify it and they inactivate it so it's not alive anymore. Or it's not well, again, never was alive, but it's not able to make people sick anymore. And then that's what the normal everyday flu vaccine is, is that inactivated virus that was grown in chicken eggs. In fact, people with egg allergies have to get special flu virus, flu vaccines that weren't grown in chicken eggs. 
That's just just kind of funny that chickens are where we get our vaccines right. from. <laughs> well, the problem with that, though, is it's a pretty slow process. Um, and that's why every year they kind of have to guess which flu strains are going to be common, like months ahead of time, so they can grow the vaccines in chicken eggs. Um, but these COVID vaccines are both uh, new, um, like not Obviously, they've been developing them for a while, but new to us vaccines that we haven't had for other diseases before. And they're very, very cool and actually might really change the way that we do all vaccines. Yeah. Going back to the flu vaccine, though, why does it change every year? Um, because flu is a virus that mutates a lot all the time. And there's a lot of different flus and birds get flu. <laughs> Lots of things get flu. Um, and so because there's so many different strains any given year, you can really get lots of different kinds of flu. So they tried to guess which one is going to be the most common because they actually put more than one flu strain in every flu vaccine, but they can't put infinite flu strains. So they just have to try to figure out what which one seems to be, you know, increasing the most or seems to be the most common. And some years they guess really well and some years they don't guess particularly well. Yeah. Has it what about this year? Like I've my mom's who's a doctor says so she hasn't seen a lot of flu cases. She's actually seen a lot more COVID. Why do you know why that is? Yeah, it's really interesting. There's like the flu cases have plummeted and um, they think it's just because of all of the safety measures against COVID. COVID is much easier to spread than the flu is. So all of the masks and distancing and cleaning stuff um, have just prevented the spread of flu. Wow, that's kind of, I guess, a good benefit then. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out that it actually we're, we're pretty good at spreading flu. I think, you know, most years we make basically zero effort to, to not spread the flu. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, people come to school sick and to work sick, and I've been guilty of that myself. And so we spread it a lot. And now that people aren't doing that, then, you know, hey, no one gets flu. Yeah. Maybe we should try doing this more often. <laughs> well, not the whole staying home all the time thing, but, but the masks wouldn't be a bad the idea. The masks, yeah. yeah. And then why are vaccines, like, I hate to say it, but why are they, like, so small? And, like, why why can't you take it, like, through an IV or, you know, like a pill or... <laughs> Um, <laughs> or like a liquid? Well, you need to provoke immune response. Um, and pills, like most things that go into your stomach are just neutralized by your stomach acid and you aren't likely to really make have an immune reaction to it. Um, I guess you could theoretically get it by IV, but even going into your bloodstream isn't going to really inspire immune response as well as going into your muscles. Um, I don't, I'm not as much of an expert to know exactly why, but for whatever reason, um, injecting things directly into the muscle provokes a pretty strong immune reaction and injecting into the muscle, unlike the bloodstream where it might go into your brain or something like that. Um, it's unlikely to have really serious side effects. And why does it hurt? <laughs> um, well, you just injected it. So, I know it was just so tiny that like, I know. You know. Um, well really um, I don't know if you have learned this like in biology or anything, but most of what makes you feel bad when you're sick is not the thing itself that's making you sick. It's your immune system that makes you sick because your immune, re your immune response makes you feel lousy. So since vaccines provoke immune response, basically it's your immune system making you feel lousy. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So is it like with the fever, you know, where yeah, your body so ranges? fever and aches and, um, you know, just general tiredness is your immune system, you know, doing its job. But, of course, the difference in a vaccine is it's only a day or two versus a real illness, which, you know, could be a really long time. And then with the flu vaccine, you only need one shot every year. But with the COVID, I know, like, people are getting, like, multiple. Or with, like, meningococcal, I think, like, I had to get that multiple times. So um, it really depends on the type of vaccine and how good of a response um you know, that your body has to it. Like, even now, some of the COVID vaccines are just one shot, like the Johnson & Johnson one. Um, 
So when they test them, they, you know, will inject people and then they'll see like how many antibodies they're making, like how their immune system responds. And they'll base, you know, the recommendation of how many shots on that. So like the hepatitis C vaccine takes three shots, but, you know, the measles vaccine, well, they do it several times over your childhood, but then you're kind of good for the rest of your life after that or I don't know. Do they, are they making you do it later again now? I'm not I sure. I, I haven't had a measles shot in a long time. <laughs> um, so uh, basically, your immune system makes these memory cells, and it's pretty good at it, but sometimes it needs to be reminded. So they can't just put, like, all of the f- vaccines into one and then give well, it to Well, they do put some vaccines into one. You Like, your, you know, your standard shots when you're a kid, like the Tdap is tetanus, diphtheria, I forget what A stands for, <laughs> and pertussis, which is whooping cough. So um, you're getting four at a time. I mean, they could theoretically put even more, but the more that you put in, you know, like the more like possible complications you could have. So it's probably better to, you know, have them in just little, little like four or five. I've no, I don't know if there's any, all the ones I can think of, the maximum is four. I don't know if there's That's a still reason a lot, for though. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but even like the, like I was saying, the flu shot is just for flu, but there's a lot, sometimes there's up to like 10 strains of flu in that one shot. Yeah. So. And how much does it cost to produce a vaccine? Because like the flu is given out for free, isn't it? Or does it cost? Um, I mean, it's generally for free. Like, I think if you go to like CVS and you don't have insurance, you have to pay like 20 or $30, but most insurance covers it for free. So is it around $30 per vaccine? You know, I'm not sure about that. I know that it depends a lot on like what type of vaccine and how they're producing it. Um, like I know it's way cheaper with the COVID vaccines that the AstraZeneca one that you, we don't actually have approved in the U.S. yet, but has been improved in Europe and other places. Um, it was kind of a big deal that that one was very cheap to produce. It's like $3 a dose. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and much cheaper than the mRNA ones, the Pfizer and Moderna that we have, which are very cool. The technology is really cool on those ones, but um, they're definitely more more expensive to produce, although I don't remember the the exact price, but I know it's more expensive. So I think it just depends on like what the vaccine is. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess to talk about like the big one is how is the COVID vaccine different than the other ones? Because I know there's been, it was produced so quickly and a lot of people were worried about that. Well, so it was produced quickly, but it had the benefit of a lot of things that we had already been doing. So I I don't, you guys might be too young to remember, but there was a previous SARS virus um, because COVID is SARS-CoV-2. And SARS-CoV-1 was when you guys were, like, not born yet. (laughs) Um, But it was in 2002. Um, And uh, it wasn't quite as contagious as as this current SARS. But because of that, we started studying SARS viruses, like, really heavily. And a lot of people thought SARS viruses were going to be, you know, probably the next pandemic. And they were right. Um, And so (laughs) we already had a lot of research on that type of virus. And then... The mRNA vaccines that they um, were using were already in development as well. They hadn't actually been used for anything yet, but they were. They hadn't. They didn't just start from scratch. Um, yeah. So, so and also we have such good DNA technology now and being able to sequence things that we can sequence everything a lot faster than we could back in the day. You know, like even ten years ago, it would take weeks and tons of money to sequence just the DNA of one, you know, one virus. And now we can do it in like, you know, days. Oh, wow. (laughs) So. And then what is an mRNA vaccine? So if you remember your biology. (laughs) um, (laughs) It's been a couple of years. (laughs) So in, 
So the way like your cells work, you have your DNA, right, in your cells. And, but that doesn't directly do anything. It just kind of sits there and says, hey, this is how you should make all the proteins in your body. Um, and then your cells make copies of the DNA, and that's the mRNA. And then your cells use that mRNA to actually make all the cell parts, the proteins that do all the work in your cells. Um, the mRNA, I like my analogy is kind of like the DNA is like the teacher's stuff on their hard drive. The mRNA is like the copy she hands out to the students, you know, um, <laughs> and then you guys do all the work. <laughs> um, anyways, so uh, what the mRNA vaccines do is that they are mRNA. They skip the DNA part. They're just the instructions on how to make proteins. And specifically, um, the coronavirus has these spike proteins. I don't know if you've seen pictures. They look like sort of like balls with little spikes coming off of it. Those spike proteins are what they use to get into cells. So the mRNA and the mRNA vaccines makes the protein for those spike proteins. Um, and so when you get injected with it, your cells are like, your cells aren't very smart. It's not like they can think. So they're like, oh, look, mRNA, I should, you know, make proteins with it. <laughs> and they make this protein. And then your immune system can recognize things that it knows are you and things that are not you. So when your immune system sees those proteins, it's like, that's not my protein. <laughs> and, and it starts to freak out. It's like, you know, no, we don't like that protein. And it, you have its whole immune response and you make antibodies and you make what I was talking about earlier, those memory cells. So that when you get an actual coronavirus, the whole thing, not just the spike protein, um, it will see that virus, it will see the spike protein in particular and be like, oh no, we've seen this before and your home immune mm -hmm. response will happen much more quickly. Interesting, yeah. And uh, then since it's using the RNA and it's not exactly like the full virus, mm -hmm. is it, would you call it safer? Yeah, what's interesting is that there have been zero reports of any bad side effects from the, both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. And even the best vaccines occasionally will you have some kind of side effect in someone somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's pretty impressive that like they don't have any side effects. Plus, they're not grown in eggs or anything. So there's very few allergens, although I did, there have been a few allergic reactions reported. So that's not completely um, gone. But generally speaking, they're extremely safe and um, they're really easy to change like with all these new variants because all they have to do is change what the mRNA is, which is actually pretty easy to do. So... I mean, Moderna is already coming out with like a booster shot of the new variants, like of the COVID vaccine. Oh, wow. And you said, because like the RNA is very specific, like, you know, the DNA is one thing, but then yeah. taking the RNA is much smaller. Is this similar to like, you know, gene editing, like CRISPR, like similar um, technology? Well, I mean, they're related, and I'm sh but they're not really the same because with CRISPR, you actually... Um, change the DNA of an organism, whereas this is just making one little piece of something. It's not a whole organism. And it's not really, it, it's more like um, you actually build it piece by piece. They're basically like, if you remember, you know, the, the letters, your A, C, and it's RNA, so U and G. <laughs> um, and so basically they're like, okay, they, they chemically are just like, okay, A, U, U, G, A, you know, and just put it together um, in like a big chemical vat um i i actually have read about how they do it but it's kind of complicated do you, <laughs> yeah. you can you can elaborate no no it's all right all right um well i guess you said you mentioned that the new technology was really cool what else is really cool about this vaccine um well i didn't think the fact that they can just make it for any protein anywhere like is pretty cool because they might be able to change the way we do flu vaccines and since it's so much faster you wouldn't have to guess you know a year in advance what what the flu is going to be next year you could just 
lays it on what the flu actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, just the fact that it also doesn't require any cells to make. Um, the other Johnson & Johnson, um, they still have to grow it in cells. Now, they don't grow it in eggs. They actually grow it in uh, human cells, but like human cells in culture. So just cells by themselves. Um, but you don't have to do that. So it's, I mean, it's really cool. The only downside is mRNA is pretty fragile. That's why they have to keep it in the super deep freeze, um, which is definitely a downside because, you know, not everyone has a like negative 90 degree freezer lying around. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but actually the Johnson & Johnson is using new technology as well. So I don't know if you've heard about that one, but it's um, what they call a vector virus. They took a, a common cold virus and a denovirus and they took out the common cold DNA <laughs> and stuck in uh, DNA that can make the same spike protein, the same one that the uh, Pfizer and Moderna use mRNA for. But they put the DNA, and then they infect you, and that common cold virus already knows how to get into your cells. <laughs> so oh, wow. they, they inject you with that. It gets into your cells, and that little piece of DNA starts floating around, and then your cells are like, hey, DNA, I guess I'll make RNA out of it. And then from there, it makes the spike protein. So. Similar idea. The nice thing about that one, though, is that the adenoviruses are much more stable than the mRNA is. So you only need like regular refrigeration. And then does the flu vaccine need um, refrigeration like the COVID one? It just does regular. It's it's already like, you know, dead, quote unquote. So uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't need any special. It, it needs refrigeration, but it doesn't need like super special handling. And why does the COVID vaccine need refrigeration? Like, why does it need the cold temperature? Uh, because the mRNA is just not very stable. So um, mRNA is not made to stick around a long time. Even in your own cells, it doesn't stick around very long. So you just need the super cold temperatures to keep it from, like, disintegrating. So, like, warm temperatures would just cause it to just... Yeah, I mean, not, like, immediately, but um, quickly. That's So they have to. They only keep it in the super cold when it's in storage. You're allowed to keep it um, sort of regular cold for, like, a few days after you open it, but not any more than that. Interesting. All right. Well, have you gotten the COVID vaccine? I have. Yes, I've gotten both my shots. I'm all vaccinated. Wow. And then um, do you know how long like they're saying it's going to be until herd immunity with like vaccines? Um, So they're saying with this herd immunity is different according to how contagious the disease is. Like, for example, with measles, which is super, super contagious, um, you need like 95 percent of people to be immune. They have estimated with COVID you need about 70 percent of people to be immune. So we're still a ways away. I mean, um, I think in California, what are we at now? Like 30%? Not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't remember the the number as of right now, but it was like 25% last week. So, (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we're not quite there yet. I think that, um, you know, as just today they announced that um, as of April 15th, everyone in California will be able to get vaccinated, including you guys, assuming you're over 16. um, That's cool. mm Mm-hmm. And then why was COVID so widespread compared to other, like, like why was it able to spread so much faster than, like, the flu vaccine? Or, like... Well, I mean, flu does spread really fast. But, I mean, it doesn't make the headlines. <laughs> and cause. It doesn't because most flus, yeah. um, like, aren't particularly deadly. Um, I know a lot of people, like, with COVID, which seems to be about, like, 1% on the uh, mortality, that doesn't sound super high, but... It's sort of the law of large numbers. If millions of people get something that kills 1% of people, that's hundreds of thousands of people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, it's the third highest cause of death in the last year. The only only thing that killed more people than COVID was cancer and heart attacks. So um, 
you know, oh, wow. and in a normal year, about two million, about two million people in the U.S. die in a normal year, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people died of COVID. So it you know increased our normal death rate by like almost twenty five percent. Wow, so it's it, crazy. <laughs> yeah, so you know, individually, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge thing, but it really is a huge thing. Um, and it's just it's extremely contagious. And the biggest part, and the sort of the blind spot that we had, you know, early on was that we didn't realize, um, or scientists didn't realize, is that how many, um, you know, people who weren't showing any symptoms could spread it. Because uh, so many other diseases, including the first SARS, you actually have to be sick before you really make other people sick. Um, whereas COVID, as you probably know, there's people who are asymptomatic the entire time, but they're still spreading it. And that was the hardest part because it's not like just you know, if you're sneezing, stay home. It's, you you know, everybody <laughs> needs yeah. To, to, yeah. to be careful. And, you know, of course, everyone doesn't want to think that they're the person who's sick, you know, like, oh, yeah, sure, you might have COVID, but I don't have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that, I think that was the toughest. Plus, early on, because they didn't know about the asymptomatic spreading, they didn't emphasize mask wearing and stuff as much because they didn't realize how important it was. And of course, people are terrible at change. So when they change the recommendations, everyone's like, I don't want to do that. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, science is always, you know, building on what you know, and this is a brand new virus. But I think people, some people who didn't really understand the process kind of thought we should know everything right away. Yeah. <laughs> and we definitely didn't. I mean, we, there's still lots of things we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then how long until we're like, I guess, back to a normal or are we going to Continue, is mask going to be like a continuous thing from now on? I think once there's hum, herd immunity, you know, masking won't be quite as important. Um, I mean, I personally think that just like in the winter, if you're feeling sick, you should, you know, masking should stay around. You know, don't cough on people. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, maybe we can keep these flu numbers down. Um, you know, but once we, you know, once most people are vaccinated, I think things can go back basically to normal. Yeah. And then... I've also noticed that, like, in the headlines, like, um, like people are very upset about how high the number's gone. Like, like you said, they should have stopped it earlier. Why is it, are the scientists being blamed for that? No, I think, you know, as a science teacher, I'm like, we need better science teachers. <laughs> I think a lot of people just didn't understand what was going on, and maybe the the messaging at first was a little confusing. You know, people were saying one thing and then changing. And it wasn't because, you know, we didn't know. It's because we learned new things. But sometimes people think, oh, last week you said this and this week you said that. Now I'm just not going to trust you because you can't decide what you want, <laughs> you know. And so, and, you know, of course, there's a lot of bad information out there and a lot of things that aren't true on the Internet. Imagine that. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, people, like, just not believing the science. The science has been there the whole time, but not everyone really took the science seriously. Yeah, I guess we know now that it's yeah. important to trust science. Yeah, I mean, the countries that did take it seriously are doing really great. Like, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and, you know, South Korea. Like, they have, like, zero cases. You know, China. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's really hard, though, and I get it because people get tired and... It, it's really, it's hard to keep keep going after all this time. But unfortunately, if people had just been better at first, we wouldn't have had all the problems later. But, you know, it's too late now. Too we can't, late now, go yeah. back, can't go back and change time. Yeah. And if this was to happen, like, again, how could we prevent it in the future? Well, I think 
hopefully, I mean, unfortunately, people are always good at learning lessons, but maybe we learned our lesson that it, you know, an early response can make things better. You know, the success stories in the world can show that having a strong early response is really important. Um, and the fact is we've come with all of our new vaccines and the mRNA vaccines and stuff that I think that will help us in the future to be able to have vaccines against any possible new diseases. But really, um, the reason that we're having, you know, more of these diseases, a lot of it has to do with human and animal contact. And, you know, the more that we encroach on wild animals, particularly places where there's things like a lot of bats. Bats have weird immune systems where they harbor a lot of viruses and they're particularly prone to spreading disease. Um, they don't get sick, but they get everybody else sick. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's a lot of it is about, you know, humans sort of encroaching on forests and, you know, eating wild animals and things like that um, can end up, you know, with these spillovers. And also, it's not just wild animals, though. Um, you know, some flu uh, outbreaks and other outbreaks have happened with pigs and chickens at like commercial farms. So um, just kind of having humans and animals <laughs> like too close together, uh, it ends up with a lot of disease outbreaks happening. And that's where Ebola came from as well. And then is that the same for humans to animal diseases like us? Because you say like like with the flu vaccine or with the flu virus, it mutated, you know, from like a bird or a yeah. pig. Can it go from humans to animals? Uh, theoretically, it can. I'm not sure if there's actual like documented cases. I I mean, it's certainly theoretically possible, but I I don't really I don't. <laughs> maybe we just don't care as much about the poor chickens. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one's paying as close attention to them. But yeah, I mean. I see it could definitely go in both directions because the thing about a virus is that it's usually specialized for a species, but they're so similar that a small mutation means that suddenly it can jump to a new species. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. A little scary, but evolution in action. Well, and that's the scariest thing right now. I'm worried about like places like Brazil where COVID is still out of control because the more people they get a disease, the more the virus replicates, the more chances it has for mutations and the more mutations means the more chances that we could have, you know, a really like dangerous variant that spreads even farther. So like even if we have everyone like vaccinated, then it could still like have a reoccurrence. Yeah. So that would be the worry, right? <laughs> everyone's vaccinated. We're all good. And then suddenly a new variant comes from somewhere else and it's, you know, the vaccines aren't effective against it and we start all over again. Now, hopefully we'd be able to alter the vaccines fairly quickly, but then you have to revaccinate everyone. So. Yeah, which is expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, really the key thing is, um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have been hearing about it, but like countries like, you know, the UK and us and Europe and China are all vaccinating a lot of people. Um, but a lot of developing countries are vaccinating, like some literally none, like some countries have not vaccinated a single person because they don't have vaccine. And it's really worrisome because, you know, not only those poor people, they need vaccines, yeah. but also in the more selfish, like the more people, the more countries where COVID is still running rampant, the more chance that we could have variants that affect everybody. And can that go with any virus, not just COVID? Yeah, sure. I'm definitely with any virus. Like, um, you know, like, for example, the polio like example that if people in Afghanistan still have polio, you know, they could theoretically spread it. But the difference, of course, being that we are all vaccinated against polio, so... Yeah. But but just like with measles, there are some people who, you know, against <laughs> medical <laughs> advice are not vaccinating their kids so that they could theoretically still get polio. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, do you have anything else to add? Any fun facts about 
inspires that you've learned? Mm. No, I think you said all of them. I, I got to talk about the bats. I think it's so weird that the bats, bats' immune systems just don't care about viruses. They don't? No. And well, <laughs> Wait, what? <yeah. laughs> well, no, they, they just, rather than fighting the viruses, they just kind of coexist. <laughs> like, our immune system is like, you know, immediately when it sees something foreign, it's like, kill it now. Um, their immune system is like, yeah, whatever. That's, so that's why they're such, because, like, you know, Ebola and the original SARS and probably COVID um, all came from bats and um, several other diseases as well that I can't, you know, off the top of my head, can't remember. But uh, it's because bats just are like little virus factories. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So they may be cute, but don't play with bats. <laughs> <laughs> little um, PSA yeah. or whatever. Alrighty. Well, I guess for a fun question was, what did you do over quarantine? Like, what, um, how do you waste time? Well, let's see. I, because everyone was doing it, I did learn how to make sourdough. <laughs> and I and I still do it. It's actually, I make really good bread. Um, and I hung out with my dogs a lot. It was actually nice. I have a long commute, so I didn't have to drive here every day. But I missed everybody. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was you know, teaching science online is, is really not as fun as in person. Yeah. And then what about you? What have you done over quarantine? Mm, spent a lot of time with my dog, too. And then played video games. Same. Breath of the Wild. Mm. Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It was guys. a really good was conversation. Live from M5 is a production of Rockland High School's journalism program in Rockland, California. To listen to more episodes of our podcast, search for Live from M5 on your favorite podcast app. For more information about our journalism program, visit rocklandmedia.org. Thanks. <laughs>